eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Thursday, December 28th. And yes, we're on vacation this week. So I would like to keep these intros a little bit tighter. You know that all of our content lives at jillonmoney.com. That's our website, jillonmoney.com. If you've got a question, something comes up, just thinking about your stuff in a big way and you want to get it off your chest or your mind, just go to jillonmoney.com, click the contact us button, let us know if you want to come on the air live with us. Today we're doing some emails. Let's start with one from Ron, who says, great article on social security in the Baltimore Sun. I just turned 70 last month and I received the first payout this month. And I am so glad that I waited. I have tried talking this up to others, and if they're in good health, both physically and financially, that they really should hold off filing until age 70. It is amazing how many older folks went ahead and filed early at 62, and and, uh, Ron writes, gasp, and now they're locked in. It was also amazing how many do not realize that you can delay filing and get an 8% compounded from year to year until filing at age 70. I compared my amount if I were to have claimed at age 62 and then to age 70, and now it is more than double. How about that? Here's the key, according to Ron. The key for me was to A, be a high earner above the social security earnings cap for most of my work career, B, take advantage of employing matching with the percentage funds feature, and three, contribute the maximum via payroll deduction to my 401k over a whole working career. And then I'm going to put this importantly, he didn't say importantly, but I'm going to say importantly, do not ever touch it. Just let it grow with fidelity. (laughs) I mean, it is amazing to me that so many people continue to claim social security benefits at age 62, because I think many of them, at least the people who can wait, they convince themselves, well, I might as well have the money now, because if I invest that money, then I will do better than whatever increase I will see in my social security benefit. You might, but you might not. 
And it's very hard to match the returns that you essentially receive by delaying because that delay is not a risk. Also, I think there are some people who really convince themselves that they better take Social Security now because the system's going broke. Not so. Not so. I cannot emphasize this enough. If you claim early, this is a real problem because it means you will have a permanently lower benefit. That means the permanently lower benefit would be for you and for a spouse who might be claiming half of your uh, record, your half of your benefit. Now, when should you claim at 62? One, you really can't afford to pay your bills. You have to claim early. That's a good chunk of people. I get it. Two, you have a terrible health health outlook. You have some chronic disease. You know that you will not live till, you know, much past age 70. And there is a, I don't know, I would say a real issue around your longevity. That's it. Those are the two people who claim it's 62. Otherwise, you have to wait at least until your full retirement age, 66 or 67 right now. Or you know what? You have to actually wait until you're 70 and get all of that extra money. God, it really does add up. All right. This is Julie, who's 56. Her husband's 57. He has some health issues. And here's a a case in point. She says he has some health issues. According to doctors, he will not live past 75. Oh, God, does that stink? So again, he's 57. So she has pretty good genes, grandmothers who live to be into their 80s. And she says, I am self-employed. I've got net income of $75,000 a year. My husband is a physician's assistant who, as long as he stays healthy, can make $150,000 a year. Because of his health needs, he is not eligible for private insurance. And he provides the medical insurance for our household. Oh, boy. All right. Here's the money. 520 grand in his 401k, 250 in her 401k, no debt for rentals, which they own and which net about $3,500 a month. Their primary is worth 500 grand. Husband is contributing the max to his 401k and 403b, uh, 55 grand a year. She's contributing the max of about 40 grand to her 401k and profit sharing probably. $500,000 in savings. They're unsure what to do with it. We both love our jobs. We want to be done by the time we're 65. My husband would like to retire earlier if he could figure out the health insurance piece. Huh. Okay. They uh, used to live in Hawaii and uh, they've considered purchasing a a condo for an investment or short-term rental. Do you have a suggestion what to do with the savings? I stayed at home. I raised our kids. Her social security at um, 65, $1,300 a month. Her husband's at age 65, about $3,300 a month. The value of their rental properties is about a million dollars with no debt. Okay. So what do we do with this 500 grand? I'll tell you what, I think a good chunk of that's got to stay in somewhat, I would say somewhat safe types of investments because I'm worried right now that the, that whatever health issues he has, aren't just going to essentially be like, boom, snap your fingers at 75, he drops dead. There may be some issues where you need to actually have access to money. You know, I don't really understand what your actual needs are for spending. That's one thing that you didn't say because you said you have, you have $3,500 a month from the rentals. You'll have, you know, another about five grand from social security. Is that enough for you to live on? 
Uh, but I think that if I were looking forward and I had a half a million dollars in savings right now, I would probably say, all right, at the very least, I want to buy a 10-year treasury with some of that money, right? I want to have tie up some of my money, guarantee myself 5% for 10 years. Maybe I would like to buy some shorter term CDs just to lock in some of that money. And maybe I would probably look at trying to put a little bit in the stock market. Don't go crazy, but maybe 20, 30% in the stock market until I really understand what is your husband's health situation. I think that that is probably where I would go. I would not buy a condo at all. I would go visit Maui and have fun, and that's terrific, and support that um, that beleaguered area. But I wouldn't use up any of my liquidity at this point in your life, okay? If you want to come on the air, I'd love to talk to you more about this. Okay. Anne says she liked my article about estate planning in their local paper. She said, I've heard that beneficiary designations trump trust and will beneficiary designations. Okay. It's not that they trump anything that you have that is a contract that passes by contract does take the primary position over assets that are probated that goes through the process through a will. So what are those things? That's an insurance policy. That's a retirement plan. That is a trust. A trust really is actually a, a legal entity until it, to its own. That, that could be a transfer on death designation in an, a bank account and sometimes in some investment accounts. So the hierarchy is what passes by contract. Anne says, would a will be rendered obsolete by choices one makes throughout life when completing beneficiary forms? Yes, for those assets. But there are also assets that do not get included in that. Many people, they don't want to put their homes in a trust and a house will often pass, yes, by contract. But if you're the only one who owns the house, someone's going to inherit it. That may not be the case for your things that have value, but aren't held in an account, a piece of jewelry, your personal effects. So, you know, a will's not that hard to draft. So I would say it's not that it's obsolete, but the more that you can pass by contract, the easier it is to settle an estate. Oh, Mark, you want to hear something amazing? I did just get a letter from from the IRS thanking me for helping to close out my father's estate. 10 years ago, my father died. Your father? Yep. So it was a 10-year official, like they never closed it out. They seem how, somehow forgot to close it out. So he kept writing letters. Hey, is this closed? Is this closed? Is it, then COVID hit. Is this Anyway, I just got it. Isn't that nice? Congratulations, Albie. You are now officially dead again 10 years later. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He's spinning in his urn. <laughs> All right. Last question. This is from Amy. This is about deferred compensation plans. So Amy's role at work is eligible for deferred compensation. So she can defer a certain percentage of base salary or bonus every year and choose a variety of payout terms, like payout in a year or over five or 10 years or a lump sum after retirement. All right, here we go. The unique thing is that my company also has incentives with it. The first 6% that I defer must be into company stock. Oh, I hate that. That is so annoying. I hate that. Okay, fine. Now they're going to match it with a 20% stock and the stock earns dividends. 
Then if I choose to defer more, I can contribute into stock or choose the cash deferral plan, which has a 5.72% interest rate currently compounded quarterly. In addition to the company stock match, they also do a company match of 6% um, on all contributions. So how can I use this plan to my advantage? I'm 54 and I plan to retire between 60 and 62. I heard that a higher up executive mentioned that they participate and defer a huge chunk of change for one year only. And then it gets the interest and the 20% stock and the 6% cash matching. Then it pays out. Then they immediately liquidate the stock. I started participating three years ago. I've got $120,000 in it now. I have been electing to receive at retirement over five years and not distribute while still employed. Any advice on how on how to consider this, given that I would like to bridge my income for about five to six years until a $5,000 per month pension kicks in at age 65, and then Social Security kicks in at age 70 at $4,500 a month. Boy, tell you what, Amy, you're in good shape. Uh, I love the executive's idea here. I'll tell you why. I think that maximizing the plan, it means that you do the 6%, right? And you get the 20%. But I love the idea of a year because then it is available to you. The only problem is the one thing you didn't mention is how much you earn because you have a bunch of money in there already. You're 54 it may make sense to do a five-year vest because maybe when you retire, you'll be in a lower tax bracket. I don't know. And I don't know what the country company is because if the company is one that's a little shaky, maybe that's why you do the one year. That is a pretty rich plan. So well done. And thanks for checking in with us on that. All right. I think that's it. That is the program. And we are so grateful that you listen. And we know that everything that we do is to serve you. If you need more information from us, if you need help with your own financial planning questions, all you need to do is go to our website, jillonmoney.com, click the contact us button and let us know if you'd be willing to come on the air. Don't forget to check the little box if you want to come on live. And you can also on our website, check out all of our free content, like the free weekly newsletter. You can buy my book. You can subscribe to the Jill on Money live service where you have access to quarterly live webinars and cool bonus video content. We love it all. Hey, don't forget, subscribe to us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, please also leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. Lift someone up, change your work, change your wealth, change your life. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself. But even better, they've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information, all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.